Hey everyone, welcome to episode 85 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast to have to invite its friend who managed to top 8 regionals while we did not quite get there. Hooray! Hooray! <laughs> so Lee's here. Hey Lee. Hi, Hi y'all. I'm still here, Chris Gasser-Apple. Collins is still here. Hey Collins. Hey, what's up? Yeah, so regionals this past weekend, Lee top 8 the thing. Just yeah. kind of rattling off the winds with some war prison. Yeah, this tech's been really good to me recently. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it seems like it's in a pretty well position, and also, you know, I've seen you play it, and <laughs> your 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 knowledge with the deck is extraordinary. So you're you're having a lot of you know a lot of percentage points there. Yeah, it's really one of those decks that rewards knowing a lot about the format. Yeah, yeah, yeah. how you for sure how you plan to play each game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it definitely feels like one of those decks where I talk a lot about micro and macro decisions where some decks really reward all, making all of your micro decisions appropriately. Death Shadow, I think, would be a good example of that, where you really need to make sure that all of your tiny, minute decisions are super on point and that, you know, helps you facilitate your overall game plan. But the War Prison deck, you're always thinking about the big picture. You're always thinking about, okay, what could the possible things that could happen this whole game you know, and how do I lock all of those pieces out? Yeah. So that's it's definitely pretty pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. For sure. So before we get too into stuff, we should take a second to thank our patrons. So really appreciate everybody who has become a Patreon subscriber. Uh, thanks for coming and hanging out in Discord. Thanks for chatting with us. Thanks for suggesting stuff for the show. Uh, new patrons for this week and probably like the last week or two because I haven't been super great about keeping up. But thanks a lot to Dirk Alan, James, and Manny, really, really appreciate your support. And if I'm not mistaken, that Alan is Alan Swan, who also top eighted this yeah. regionals, he made the beat finals. Me in the top four, as a matter of fact. Oh yeah, Ooh, on camera and everything. <laughs> yeah, very public feat. There yeah. were a lot of deputies of detention cast in that match. Yeah, I liked the ones in game two that were cast because they were torpor. Yeah, they're a little worse though. <laughs> Uh, and game three, which I saw, was mostly you trying to figure out a way to get a Torpor Orb in play and it not quite happening. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I know Alan's been working on that deck a lot. That's actually the Spirits deck with Chalice of the Void in the sideboard that absolutely dumpstered me when I was on uh, Restore Balance at uh, an IQ. So uh, he's he's been working on that particular build of Spirits for a while, so cool to see him do well with it yeah and it seems like he has a lot of experience with it and he i think that he's top aided the past couple of local events with it as well so mm-hmm. that's yeah you know uh shout out to alan for that good job yeah he, he's all he's been crushing it for like a while now i think mm-hmm. the last two or three local iqs he's been in the top eight i that's think he won one of them nice it's he's been doing really well excellent it's always good to see yeah so we will mostly be talking about modern mostly be talking about regionals I grabbed a hand that, you know, looking back, I'm not totally sure that I should have kept. This is a hand, game three of the Phoenix Mirror. Uh, I'm on the play. And this is four lands. I don't remember exactly the lands, but it was good lands. It was like two Spire Bluff canals and a fetch land and an island or something like that. So had fine mana, four lands, a lightning axe, a surgical, and a phoenix, which is... Not a great hand, but I want to give my, like, thoughts on keeping it. And so having all these lands is actually pretty bad. Uh, in the Phoenix deck, you end up digging a lot. And even though your cantripping lets you choose what you get, uh, you do end up with a decent amount of lands. But here, having the answer to Thing in the Ice and the answer to Phoenix 
means that the game is going is likely to extend out longer. I don't think that this hand is a truly great hand or anything like that. But uh, one of the big ways you lose games in the first couple of turns is not having an answer to thing in the ice and just dying to thing in the ice. Mm -hmm. This is a much better on the draw hand. Because yeah. one of the worst starts you can have is they go turn two thing in the ice, you go turn two thing in the ice, and then you just die. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of the... And that that's what happened in game two of this match. That's, uh, you know, I just, like, played a thing in the ice and crossed my fingers, and it turns out crossing your fingers is not a good enough defense... Against like, the opposing thing in the ice. Against an opposing thing in the ice. Right. Um, it, you know, it feels a lot like old team or energy mirrors where on the draw, you just side out all of your two drops because them playing a two drop and you playing a two drop just like leads to this cascading advantage that you end up losing the game. Here, the cascading advantage happens very, very quickly. So like having an answer to thing on the play is not really better than having thing, but maybe I kept this hand more out of fear than anything else. And it's really just not good on the draw. I think this is an okay hand on the play. Like the more I think about it, the more I think I really just shouldn't have kept this hand X lightning X and surgical extraction are two of the most important cards in the matchup. But Phoenix honestly isn't because the odds of them getting surgical is so high mm -hmm. um, that this hand really doesn't have a plan. And so I feel like I made a mistake by keeping this hand. So first, a little like overall thoughts on the mirror. Um, it feels like all of the basic game plans of your deck in the mirror are get disrupted very easily, especially post board. As, oh yeah, uh, post board. You know, it feels like your phoenixes always get surgical. Mm -hmm. You're they're always going to find an answer to your thing in the ice, um, and the games go super long. And this hand is definitely one that facilitates that, but I feel like it's got a bit too much air in it yeah. to um, justify wanting to try to go long. Mm -hmm. I feel like you're, you know, you might draw a couple of cantrips or something, but generally you're going to be a little flooded with this hand. And the only way that you're getting out of that is if you find a faithful suiting right. and then you're leaning really hard on that potential faithful suiting that you draw. If you had like a special sideboard plan that involved more Chandra's and like maybe a Ral Zarek or you know, Beacon Bolts, like, you were really stocked for, like, Mirror Breaker cards, like those I think all are, then then I might consider keeping a hand like this because you know that you can surgically your opponent's Phoenixes and that's not going to be a problem. And you know you're going to have an answer for at least the first thing in the ice. Mm -hmm. So if you think that you're drawing towards more beef outside of those cards that your opponent is, I might consider keeping this hand. But um, And that's... I kind of was, and that's part of the thought process that I didn't really mention. It's okay. post-board. I did have a Chandra and a Hazaret, actually. Hazaret, okay. And you have a couple of slots for, like, value-y cards, and yep. I wanted one that was better against Jund. Okay, um, sure. And Chandra dies a lot against Jund. Yeah. And so I chose Hazaret, which I, I didn't really get to see in action, but in several matches I very much did want to draw it for mm -hmm. what for whatever that's worth yeah um so and, and i i had crackling drakes and i knew my opponent was on terramanders uh and no crackling drakes he was on a, a four terramander deck yeah um so setting yourself up to go long i think did favor me mm -hmm. but also like this hand isn't very good against terramander yeah 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 and <laughs> so. it's just got a lot of air in it you know and i think that the the probability of you drawing you know just not enough gas to keep mm -hmm. up with your opponent and you're just going to get outvalued naturally that way um i'm like worried about that with a hand like this yep there's a serious problem i think you keep a hand like this and your your top card is a land or a thought even a thought scour or something right. like that something that's not 
actively helping you along with your gameplay. It mostly needs to be faithless looting, and that's right. that's not really acceptable on seven cards. Just ch- cashing this hand in for a six seems a little better. I think so too. Mm-hmm. I think I was probably allowing the last game to influence my decision um, because in that game I had a thing in the ice and I had a decently proactive hand uh, but my opponent also had a thing in the ice and 13 to me on turn 3 and this hand can't get 13 down to th- turn 3 but that's not good enough I, and on the play like that's just you know I wasn't actively like taking that line of thinking but I think I was keeping scared um, mm-hmm. which is not not good to do and definitely not good to do on the play yeah, for sure. But yeah, so let's just talk about regionals. Regionals. We all went. We all went. We all had fun. a good time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Lee had a better, a slightly better time. Well, you yeah. know, record-wise. Well, record I don't, not, my day started out kind of bad. I had to play against Collins in round one. Round one. <laughs> you and me. Yeah. I, I sat at my table and I didn't see who I was playing. Someone told me my table number, so I didn't even get to see who I was playing with. So I mm-hmm. went and sat down. I think that you and I were actually just like at the pairings boards together and then somebody shouted your table number to you and you're like, okay, you know, and you left and then I read it and I was like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) so that was fun. It's a rough matchup for Collins. Yeah, Collins was playing humans that day and I was playing prison, the the blue black were prison deck that I played at the IQ and. Dom Harvey top aided or won the classic yeah. in Syracuse with mm-hmm. uh, the one that plays a bunch of Thopter Sword combo and not as much in the Chalice lock you out slowly over time build that yeah. a lot of people like online. Yeah, the same deck you've been playing, you played at the IQ. Were there any changes from the IQ in this tournament? Yeah, in the IQ, I played a, a little slower build. I played more, I, I played a, what's the card called? Bottle Cloister. Mm-hmm. The, so you, a little more grindy, a little more card advantage. You can get play a little longer game. Uh, but Dom dropped that from his deck entirely uh, because he didn't feel like he needed it. Yeah. And I'm kind of inclined to think he's right because mm-hmm. with the Thopter Sword combo, if you can ever assemble it... You don't need the extra value. You don't value. need the... Right. <laughs> that yeah. just... Like, it came really clear in a match I played against Dylan in the tournament. He was yeah. playing Blue-Red Phoenix. And he had a, a turn to a Pyromancer Ascension. And he activated it maybe a couple turns after that. I was trying to keep him off of it with Torment's Crypt, but eventually he just activated it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I had the online Thopter Sword combo, and he had Active Ascension. Active Ascension is incredibly powerful. Yeah, oh yeah. He had it for the entire game, and I still won that game. He must have <laughs> untapped with Ascension ten times, <laughs> and I still won. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I saw it. Like, he had managed to kill all of your bridges through any yeah, however many killed jars, jars killed graph figures cage mm-hmm. killed bridges he, he couldn't afford to kill the combo because i had too many pieces of them and he needed to kill the other stuff to try and kill me right right uh, and he used so many resources doing that even with ascension that my thopters were able to block all his creatures and eventually he just ran out of cards in his deck Wow. He, he conceded because he only had two cards left in his library. Yeah. And he couldn't get through it. That board. sounds like an awesome match. Was that one on camera by any chance? It wasn't on camera, Bummer. but it was definitely the most intense match I think I played the entire tournament. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Dylan had uh, a lot of really excellent games uh, that I uh, was was burning that tournament, uh, one of which people should check out. It was him playing against Ross uh, in the, I think, quarterfinals, mm-hmm. uh, and they had that on camera. Yeah awesome match definitely check it out if you have the chance yeah yeah definitely and and having ross miriam show up to our uh oh know, yeah regionals it's and, his and local regionals yeah, yeah. yeah. um yeah. came down from roanoke it's good to see him uh he ended up making 
uh, top eight pretty convincingly. I played him uh, going into the last round. My losses were to Ross Merriam and <laughs> and Lee. <laughs> so I felt, you know, I wasn't live for top eight, but I felt pretty good about that, you know. So, But yeah, I played Humans. It was kind of a nostalgia pick, but also I had, you know, heard a little bit here and there how Humans was surprisingly well positioned, I think, in the field as mm-hmm. long as you appropriately evaluated your Phoenix and uh, Dredge matchups. Yeah. So I think the Dredge matchup is a lot easier to a- to approach and to adjust to from the human side, but Phoenix, I think, yeah, is still... Phoenix is going to be rough, yeah. especially post-board. I, um, so I played Surgicals mm-hmm. to um, hedge against both Phoenix and Dredge, yeah. um, and I thought that was a great choice uh, at the sideboard for humans. Um, and I, post-board, But post-board, I surgicaled Ross as Phoenix is out, and it's, I'd look through his deck, and it's just all bolts, lightning axes, and gut shots, and snapcaster mages. And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's right. This deck's pretty good against me. Yeah. So, yeah. And that, that's... It's not just humans that suffers from that, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is the main reason why Phoenix is the best deck right now. Yeah. So regionals results started coming in, and I saw somebody had assembled like uh, a, a breakdown of all the lists that had top-aided. Uh, and Phoenix was ahead, uh, but not by an enormous amount. Uh, I, like after six regionals had reported, um, there were like seven Phoenix top eights and one win on top of that. Mm-hmm. And the, and like blue white control had five top eights for second place. So like Phoenix wasn't like crushing by an absolutely inordinate amount. But then the rest, the next four regionals results came in, and then Phoenix had 18 top eights after that, and nothing had gained on it. Like, blue-white was still in second place, I think. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so after those four results came in, which included ours, yeah, because yeah, we yeah. had three in the top eight, mm-hmm. it, it became pretty clear that Phoenix real like absolutely dominated this weekend and one of the big reasons for that i think is what you just said it's not that it's like a super fast linear combo deck it's that it's incredibly resilient Mm -hmm. to any kind of hate i had several matches where my opponents usually on aggro decks would draw two pieces of hate cards post board yeah they couldn't possibly win the game after that. Right. I, I had a burn opponent with a Tormod's Crypt and a Damping Sphere in play. Yeah. And there's just no way they can deal 20 it, damage to me after that. <laughs> right. And, and those cards just, you know, do nothing for their plan. And your plan is sometimes just, like, not even effective. You, some, maybe you have to pick, like, a slightly worse plan right. or whatever. But it's you, you, your deck is so adaptable. You're playing all of these cantrips. Um, you can play such a different game if you want to. Yep. The Phoenix deck is really sneaky mm-hmm. about how people perceive it works and how it actually works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because people are really drawn to the Phoenix itself, the card the deck's named after. Yeah. Uh, but you really... You only kill people game one with Phoenix. Right. Phoenix and Thing in the Ice are kind of just these cards that are in your deck that help your spell package. You're basically just a deck of spells mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. are trying to interact with your opponent. Yep. And your creatures just come out of nowhere and try to kill them. Right, yep. yeah. And it's really hard to attack with that angle because you take out a creature. Like, if you surgically strike Darklight Phoenix, your deck is still, like you said, just a bunch of lightning bolts and cantrips. And that's pretty good. In oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. For sure. And it reminds me so much of Twin uh, and how Twin would play post-sideboard. Is that Twin post-sideboard was almost never, you know, a strict combo deck. Yeah. But your opponent, A, played Terrified of the combo the whole time. And B, you just turned into whatever this control plan that could be particularly tuned against whatever your opponent is trying to do anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think that that 
factor is so much more prevalent in the current Phoenix decks because they play so many more cantrips. Your deck is just half cantrips. So you get to sculpt your hand into whatever plan works best against your opponent. And yep. if you know what that plan is, you have such an enormous advantage and you can just do it every time because your deck's all card filtering. Yeah, it's and it's, it's just really easy to adjust when you go yep. into the, oh, I'm playing blue-white control, so I would really like to draw a Chandra, right. and you board in two Chandras, you're really likely to hit one of those oh, by yeah. the time you absolutely. need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that in the mirror, I think people are going to find that the, those, like, you know, weird, like, you know, Planeswalker-y, like, extra threats cards mm-hmm. that you have in the in the sideboard are actually a huge element of what the mirror turns into because the mirror, everybody's so efficient at finding their answers that, you know, the Phoenixes get surgicaled, and the uh, thing in the ashes get lightning axed, and then all of a sudden it's just like whatever leftovers people have. And Chandra has been exquisite in my mind in, in that setting. Minusing to kill thing is is very yeah. Good. Minusing to kill thing, um, and then also just like threatening to ultimate. Mm-hmm. Like you know, it's just a, an element that they have to expend resources into. So yeah, yeah. Phoenix takes a lot trickier than than people think. At first yeah. right. I I feel like most of the time when I talk about it with people who have not put in a lot of time with or against the deck in particular. And I don't mean just like, I, you know, I've played against Phoenix a couple of times in these tournaments, but like played it in several tournaments or sat down with somebody who knows how to play it and tested against it. People mm-hmm. who haven't done that, I feel like a lot of the times use language that makes it clear that they believe it's a combo deck mm-hmm. and that it's very focused on that Phoenix plan. Yeah. Um, and that it that's just not how you attack the deck. Right. Um, you can't just say, I'm going to exile your graveyard and be done with it because that's that's just not going to beat Thing in the Ice and then a bunch of good spells. And, right. you know, and Crackling Drake, like, as goofy a card as that is, like... It survives Bolt. It's, it's good against Rest in Peace. It's, yeah. yeah. It, it, it's, it, it has a lot of weird qualities that make it a really good threat. Right. So, so I mean, basically what happens is you get your Phoenixes exiled, and then you're like, all right, I'm a weird blue-red control deck, and I have a win condition with an infinite slash four. Mm. And the game gets to a point where you cast Crackling Drake, you do what you can to untap with it, and if you untap with it, it kills them. Right. Um, and that sidesteps all of the plans that people have for dealing with the Phoenix part of the Phoenix deck. Which kind of leads us to the question, which has set Twitter ablaze, of whether, you know, Wizards announced no bans for this period. Mm-hmm. Whether or not Phoenix is at a place where we're looking at maybe do we need a ban in this format? I, I think it's clear that we don't need one right now. Mm-hmm. We have a new set coming out going straight to modern that's going to upset things pretty significantly. Yeah. We might have a new mulligan rule coming in. Right. This format, as it stands, has only existed for seven weeks or right. whatever um, since the banning of KCI. But are we at a place where Phoenix is becoming too oppressive? Is is this something that we're seeing right now? It's it's tough to say. Uh, I I just don't think that the numbers reflect it quite as much um, of like complete dominance. I think that even though it's pretty clear that it's the best deck, mm-hmm. not enough people have jumped onto that ship quite yet. And you know, if I think if the metagame percentages pushed Phoenix upwards of 12 percent of the metagame, you know, we would need to start talking about it again because those were the um, twin numbers. 
uh, you know, I'd be fascinated. I haven't done this yet, and I usually do this, but I haven't gone through uh, and done the metagame percentage breakdowns for the regional top eights because that is a huge amount of data that we get from Star City events. Um, and I would love to see just the the actual percentage of... So here's the number of top eights versus wins. Looks like Tron has... How many regionals were there? So there were six. 10 regionals. There were 10 regionals. Oh, yeah. right. Six and uh, So 18 out of 80. Well, 18 is like a lot. 20%. Yeah. So, whoops. <laughs> right. So, so, so as we were saying before, okay. like Phoenix does have a very significant share of these regional top yeah. eights. Right. Regionals is not necessarily the most competitive tournament. Mm-hmm. And I do think that Phoenix has this weird thing where the it disproportionately succeeds based on less practiced opposition. Um, yeah. Whenever I play a weaker opponent with Phoenix, because my deck has a very low fail rate and because I think a lot of people still don't understand how to fight it, I think I get a disproportional amount of win percentage off of an opponent who is a little bit inexperienced mm-hmm. as compared to, like, if I'm playing Dredge and then my opponent brings in a bunch of Tormod's Crypts and stuff, even if they don't know Modern inside and out, they might be able to just get me. Phoenix does a great job of saying, all right, well, you're playing Burn, you drew Damping Sphere, like, why did you put yourself into this position? Right. I'll attack you for seven. <laughs> yeah, right, it's, yeah. It's one of those decks that, like, like KCI, is really good against decks that people don't really play that much. Mm-hmm. Like the pile of creature decks that people really like playing. Right. Uh, like anything with collected company and it really yeah. isn't, you know, a tribal deck. Phoenix is really good against those. Right. Your win percentage versus nonsense is it's really high. Really high. And that helps a lot with these regional tournaments mm-hmm. where you just need to uh there's several good really good players in the room and a lot of people who just came out to play. Yep. And it's Phoenix is very good at getting you into the upper bracket. Yeah. Yeah. So I think probably you know, regionals, regionals results, like, this matters. Um, this is not a nothing, the fact that Phoenix has uh, 18 top eights and second place is Tron with six. Like, that's 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 a big drop-off. But I am definitely interested in seeing upcoming competitive high-level tournaments if this same sort of thing happens now that the cat is, like, really out of the bag mm-hmm. and we're really talking about Phoenix. So we've got a GP in Tampa, and we've got an Open in Philly I this weekend. results there are going to be really eye-opening, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that we might even come to the conclusion that this deck is too broken right now, but I don't really think that we need a ban... Mm-hmm so much right now just because we are about to get Modern Horizons and that's just yeah. like a guaranteed pretty immediate fix. Yeah. However, there's Pro Tour London coming up and that is going to happen before uh, Modern Horizons comes out, right? So mm-hmm. that Pro Tour is, you know, if if there's just such an obvious best deck, especially at a Pro Tour, the pros are going to play it. So that could end up uh, being a consideration for something that people are going to have to think about. Like, maybe it's just going to be Pro Tour Phoenix or something else happens. Yeah. Um, it, it could be a... Because Phoenix is a deck with a very... It's not like Twin where you... It's a very, very punishing if you misstep. Mm-hmm. Phoenix does have that element, but it's mostly a fair deck. Yeah. At its heart, it plays spells at reasonable rates, and it's really good when it goes off. Right. Yeah. Uh, but 
The spells are at a reasonable rate. It's just the creatures. The creatures you get in a lot more power and really, toughness than really you fast. Yep. Yeah, yeah, right. And there's a lot of decks in modern. I think like the prison deck that people aren't playing very much of because mm-hmm. they don't like those styles of deck or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that are quite good against the Phoenix deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm sure those will come out of the Pro Tour as well. Yeah. Like I. I've lost matches against the Phoenix deck, but I've won a lot more right, right. than I've lost. And it's it's not the deck that beats you. It's usually very specific cards that they draw and cast and resolve. Shatterstorm. Right? Shatterstorm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, I'm I'm uh I've won every game where my opponent has or won every match where my opponent has boarded inside a Shatterstorm against me so far. <laughs> nice, so I'm nice. pretty proud of yeah. that. <laughs> did you uh I know that you played Swan Song um yes. at regionals. Did you did you have that at the IQ previously or was that I an, didn't I had it for oh you did have that slot. Okay. But I never cast it. I never okay. once cast Negate. Sure. I brought in Swan Song because it counters Stony Silence on the draw. Okay. Which, you know, Negate doesn't do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that never came up, but I did get to Swan Song a Fracturing Gust, which was pretty cool. Ooh, okay. <laughs> Very nice. Not quite Shatterstorm, but... Uh, it's pretty close. Pretty close, yeah, yeah. And uh, really resets your... I, I know that you you did this while you were killing them with... Thopter Sword combo. Fracturing Gust yeah. really resets the Thopter Sword combo. <laughs> yeah. It, it, what happened was my opponent cast Fracturing Gust when I was attacking for lethal and Thopters, mm-hmm. and I cast Swan Song, and the game was over. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. That'll do it. <laughs> right. Uh, you get a bird. <laughs> the the Shatterstorm thing out of Phoenix is mm-hmm. catching on. Hercules Recall, too. I've seen a lot of yeah, yeah, yeah. with decks like Amulet or Spirits. It, decks that can cast blue, they don't really want a clunky four drop in mm-hmm. there like Shatterstorm. Yeah. And what I've started doing for that, and one of the reasons I really like the blue-black version of Prison is that you can unmorty go those cards because mm-hmm. uh, they're all playing haymakers that crush you. So if you can resolve an unmorty go, which usually slips between uh, a lot of counterspells I've seen in these Is It Phoenix lists, mm-hmm. I see a lot of Disdainful Stroke and Dispel for yeah. War of Invention and Tezzeret and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, unmorty goes a three-mana sorcery, so it slips through all that and names the Shatterstorm, which just beats you. Uh, and then you can usually beat the rest of their cards without too much difficulty. Sounds like a good plan to me, for, for sure. sure. So I, I'm not too afraid of <laughs> the Phoenix's unparalleled dominance of this format, unless they're willing to go really hard on different types of sideboard hate for these prison decks. Yeah. yeah. And once that happens, their sideboard gets weaker for other right. decks to come in, and yeah. the cycle just keeps going. Yeah, for sure. So Phoenix is at a real high right now, but I don't think it'll be that way forever. Yeah, and you, right, you bring up a good point, and and that's modern's resiliency. Modern has proven itself to be pretty resilient, and I, while I think that these percentages of Phoenix right now are probably at an all-time high, that's probably more due to factors of um, this is a relatively new deck, and modern just hasn't had the time that it needs to, uh, you know, bounce back around. Like you know, these these were numbers that I think humans had for a long time. Uh, you know, right after I played it initially, humans was dominating. It was everywhere, um, and not that long before that, I mean, Death Shadow's numbers were yes, also right. very significant, yeah. and and lots of noise around a Death Shadow ban at that time, which yeah. just seems crazy, crazy. Now. Now. Yeah, 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 <laughs> for sure. So I think that we're probably on kind of like the high end um, of Phoenix's peak right now. But I, th- you know, I I think I trust Modern enough to. Uh, believe that it's not gonna. That's not gonna be the end all be all of, of yeah. modern. I think modern will figure it out. Although it is hitting that very key spot 
that we've had decks banned in the past for. And I'm oh, thinking yeah. specifically of KCI was fine. Mm-hmm. KCI was a good, powerful combo deck that was shut down by hate cards. And then Psy Master Thopterus got printed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it could dodge everything and kill you easily, no matter what hate cards you had. Mm-hmm. I Phoenix is similarly extremely resilient to hate because of the other win conditions in yeah. the deck. And yeah. that's a spot where, you know, maybe it hits a point where it just isn't feasible to run a deck that is powerful and does things and also is able to answer the things Phoenix is doing to you. Yeah. I think Prison definitely is one of them, but if Modern turns into dual decks Phoenix, Phoenix versus Prison, then <laughs> like, Modern is in a pretty bad yeah, place. No, for sure. You're totally right. Yeah, so you know we're definitely checking a lot of the boxes where we could potentially need to be concerned. Um, but I guess we'll see. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. I, I'll uh, say one thing. I am really looking forward to Modern Horizons in June. Mm-hmm. I, I'm really looking forward to the format just shaking up a bunch. Yeah, no, same. Absolutely. I uh, The more I'm thinking about it, the more excited I get. Yeah. So I, I mean, you weren't here when we talked about it, so what... What are do you have any things you particularly want or predictions or what do you what do you see coming out of Modern Horizons? Ooh, things I want. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, I haven't given this a lot of thought, mm-hmm. but I the things I want out of Legacy are more proactive cards, mm-hmm. which just like kind of meshes with the like enabling more decks. Like I like the Wish Cycle a lot, uh, just to have a little more built like deck building considerations. I would like Modern to get more flexible answer type cards. Maybe not flexible is the right word, but a little more general. Like Containment Priest is a really strong. I would love Containment Priest in Modern. I think not every deck can play it, right? Right. And I think it it just is a good general thing for cheating strategies and like having a a card that overlaps to hose some of phoenix not all of phoenix dredge and like crystal brand and i like that's just like a a fine place like i've had people like react audibly to the suggestion of containment priest in modern like but containment priest is so strong yeah like containment priest is only as strong as like how hard you're trying to cheat against your opponent yeah for sure and it seems like kind of the perfect card for the current metagame. It hits these top decks that we're talking about being in too good of a position, Phoenix and Dredge. Mm-hmm. Like those, you know, if people ask you, oh, what's the best deck in Modern right now? Those are going to be the two answers that you get. You know, Phoenix is amazing, of course. It's clearly a broken deck. Um, and then Dredge right now also seems to be, uh, you know, doing really well and uh, pretty popular. So. so I would be ecstatic if Modern Master or not Modern Masters, what's it called? Modern Horizons mm-hmm. had a bunch of not a bunch. Some containment priest style cards, sure, mm-hmm. but not you know all in white. I want more. yeah, yeah, yeah. I would. Tormont's Crypt is one of my favorite hate cards in modern mm-hmm. uh, because it's really cheap. It's colorless and anyone can play it, but it's not very strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's only a one shot graveyard exile effect, and that's good for a lot of decks that want it. Uh, but there's not a lot of stuff you can do other than Tormont's Crypt right now mm-hmm. if you want that effect. And I would like these Tormod Crypt style or Containment Priest effects to be spread out a little bit more through colors that want these effects, but not at a... I don't want Null Rod to be in the format. Stony Silence is fine, but if Blue wants some artifact answer, right. you can give them some cheap artifact that isn't Stony Silence, but can shut something off for a turn or something. That's fine. Yeah. Um, 
kill switch. Sure. <laughs> I don't think that does anything. No. <laughs> yeah. Hilarious. <laughs> yeah, so I do want to talk about, uh, you know, one of my favorite experiences in uh, playing in magic tournaments uh, is often judge call interactions. I think that those can get really intricate and interesting sometimes. Um, and really talking about uh, some some interesting ones is something that I really enjoy. Uh, so I had, in the last round of uh, the tournament, I was playing against uh, Chase Price, uh, who was a phenomenal opponent, very nice to talk to. You know, you, you kind of get that vibe when you're talking yeah. in playing Chase against somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, you know, good energy. So shout out to, shout out to Chase for that. Um, and I was playing, so I was playing humans, and he was on um, Bant Spirits, pretty much creature combat matchup. Um, and a scenario came up where I had a champion of the Parish in play, and I cast a Kite Self Rebooter. In response to me casting the Kite Self Rebooter, Chase cast a uh, Escalated... Blessed Alliance? Blessed Alliance, yeah. And so he tapped my... It was a cool play. He tapped my image to kill it and gain four life. So it was, you know, in response to my Freebooter trigger, it was his only spell, so it was a pretty sweet value play there. Uh, so that happened, and my, my thing died, and then he showed me his hand to the Freebooter trigger, and, you know, no spells. So uh, I continued to, you know, he put his hand away after I wrote it down, and I continued to think about what we were doing in my main phase um, and what I was going to do next, like where I was going to attack and everything. And then I realized that, you know, after like maybe 30 seconds of thinking, I realized that I uh, hadn't done anything with my champion trigger. And I was like, oh, I, you know, I, I didn't even think about this. And I for a second there, I was like confused if I had moved it up at all or not already. And I counted up the creatures that I played after it because it was my turn one play. So I just counted up all the um, humans. the humans, and I had not ticked it up yet. Mm-hmm. So I was like, is it too late to tick this up? We should call a judge. So we called a judge and I explained where we were and nothing had happened since, you know, he showed me his hand and I'd written it down and he put it back. So and we're still in my main phase. Right. So the trigger could just still be on the stack in my mind. You know, we told all that to the judge and we asked, is it too late to, you know, resolve the trigger or whatever. In the process of explaining everything, I, you know, I did what I always do in those judge calls and I try to be super transparent about, like, my thought process and everything. And I told the judge, I was like, look, when I was resolving the, you know, he, when he cast a spell in response to my uh, freebooter and when I was resolving the freebooter trigger, I, in that moment, had not remembered the champion trigger. I never acknowledged it and I had just kind of forgotten about it. But I didn't think that it was too late to put it on the stack, right? Because, you know, you don't have to acknowledge those kinds of triggers until they become relevant. So, uh... Right, you don't have to say champion trigger to put it on the stack. You just need to tick up your champion when the ability would resolve. Exactly, right. So, um, in my mind, we weren't really close to moving past the point where I could just take it up, right? Because... Uh, I could have even, you know, not said anything except for, okay, now my champion trigger resolves and everything associated with the game state would have been totally fine. But because I was like, you know, super transparent with both my opponent and the judges of being like, I had forgotten about it at the time. Mm -hmm. And, but, you know, and I had thought in my main phase for 30 seconds, but now I remembered it. Uh, The result of that judge call was that I missed it. But that felt weird to me. What was the reason given that you missed it? So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's... So I appealed. <laughs> okay. Um, and the head judge came over and, um, you know, 
and I told him the whole thing, and uh, he was like, yeah, so because you uh, admitted to us that you had forgotten about it at one point, I'm going to rule that you forgot about it. And it felt like I was getting a little punished for my transparency in that instance, right? Because I, I, I believe that according to policy, we just hadn't moved past a point where it could still be on the stack. And I know that the trigger rules have been updated to be much more lenient on things like that, right? Um, the MTR and the uh, the IPG are both moving moving in directions where we're trying to be a little more lenient to players, um, so uh, sharking happens less essentially. Because uh, I think one of the worst elements of tournament magic right now is um, sharking your opponent through judge calls, you know? Because yeah. uh, if your opponent messes up a little bit, the rules are so strict that if you just know the um, like the strict tournament rules better than your opponents, you can get an advantage there. And philosophically, I don't think that that's great. I think that it, it's probably the best solution for now. Um, but th- we are moving in directions that are, I think, better for your average player, which I think is good. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I was confused that that scenario happened that way. Uh, you know, I, of course, I accepted the head judge's ruling, which you should always do. But I, you know, I told him I wanted to talk to him more about it after the fact and had some pretty lengthy discussions with him after the uh, after the tournament was over, because this was the last round. Um, and he was he was really awesome. Uh, I can't remember his last name. His name was Perry. But he, uh, you know, he, re- he was really engaging and t- talking about like the r- specific reason why he ruled the way he did. Um, and all of that stuff. And through it all, uh, and we talked to some other judges, and some other ju- judges were actually split on whether or not they think that I should have missed the trigger. Because I did admit that while we were doing some other stuff, while the trigger should have been on the stack, I didn't remember my champion trigger. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, I, we had never gone past the point where I could have upticked my champion trigger. So it felt weird that I was, that the admission of missing it initially. Is, is the turning point. Is there. the turning point. Yeah. And it feels weird that I get punished for, in my mind, being more honest with the judge, right? Because if I had not said that and be like, um, you know, I could have phrased the, the you know, my judge called differently and been like, I, you know, the trigger can still be on the stack right now and I want to resolve it right now. And if that's all I say, you know, I'm somehow in a better position. Um, and that felt a little weird to me. I don't know. I, th- I just thought that was a really interesting scenario. And, you know, if if that is correct in policy where a, a player admits to not knowing about something at one point, but then remembering it still in time is, you know, if that's if it's policy that they should miss it in that instance, is that philosophically correct? Mm-hmm. I guess is another interesting, like, you know, thing to bring up there. Yeah. And I mean, the, the thing that gets me the most, you know, feeling like I'm not totally sure about the way that this was executed is definitely that perverse incentives sort of thing where right. the the highest EV play for you there is just to say, instead of saying like, oh, is it too late to to do my champion trigger or anything? The highest EV for play for you there is just to tick up your champion. And then right. if it turns out that, oh, we already did this this turn, then, you know, you like get a warning or whatever and you you undo that yeah and if you didn't then you just move on right. like even though like like you shouldn't be admitting any uncertainty at all because right. it's minus ev for you and you're gonna lose the judge call then yeah so that's not great right yeah i you know uh i've always operated under the philosophy that um you should never 
be afraid to call a judge. You should always feel like, you know, and I still believe that this is very true, you know, and if anybody's listening, I think that you should always feel comfortable calling a judge uh, because I think that, you know, close to 100% of the time, things are going to end up working out how they're supposed to. But it felt like I ran into a scenario where uh, I did get punished for that a little bit. So, and that's kind of why I wanted to talk about it, especially on the podcast, to kind of bring light to that a little bit where, um, you know, maybe this is an area in the rules that, you know, we would need to look at a little further uh, to make sure that, um, you know, players don't get punished for honesty in this instance. But yeah, I thought it was a, I thought it was a really interesting scenario. And I really appreciated the head judge being willing to, because that was all, you know, pretty like intricate and all about like words mattering and talking about like specific things that were said and the implications of that. Um, so I thought it was really cool that we were able to nail down specifically what it was that, you know, mm-hmm. turned the call one way or another. Um, so, yep. uh, but yeah, I thought it was, you know, I thought that was an interesting thing. Sure. For sure. Definitely. Yeah, I don't have any. I, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think you pretty much covered that. I, I yeah, I covered a lot of that because I, yeah. you know, there was a lot of t- conversation that I had with a lot of people about yeah. all of that. So I kind of said all of the pieces, but um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, you know, definitely one to share. I like these kind of stories because they can shape policy. Like when yeah. you have those discussions mm-hmm. with judges after right. after a weird judge call, you right. can, and that was a weird judge call. Yeah, in and my you mind. can you can f- you can figure out where something is maybe not written. Right. Very accurately. Right, right, right. Yeah, and, you know, no system's going to be perfect. Um, but, you know, I, I've i continued to be extraordinarily impressed with the IPG and the MTR. You know, a lot of brilliant minds went into making that. You know, if you put yourself into, you know, other... Um, it's, you know, we're so used to the system as it exists right now. And we are all... All Magic players are very, very nitpicky. You know, we're talking <laughs> about this, like, tiny little corner case scenario... Um, But like, you know, taking a step back and looking at the big picture, I think that we're extraordinarily lucky to uh, have the judge program that we do and have the tournament rules that we do. I think that that's that's not something that exists in most games. Um, Oh, we're so much better off than Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh! Oh, yeah. yeah, And if you've ever dipped your toes into any of those competitive scenes, you'll you'll see an extraordinary difference between the uh, the tournament magic scene and other tournament scenes. We we're so lucky to have the judge community that we do and uh, and all that stuff. So um yeah. you know, shout I mean, out to shout out to all those people. I don't use my like law background very much, mm-hmm. especially on the podcast and stuff, but our rules and our tournament procedures are codified in a very similar way to well drafted statutes and and uh the the you know like rules of procedure that sort of thing it's it's very clear that influence has been taken from mm-hmm. that sort of thing and when i've heard about and read about the way that the rules are written down and enforced in other games it's kind of a horror story <laughs> yeah, right. sort of thing uh, yeah 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 because it's just not clear mm-hmm. how how things function and i'm not remembering many of the specifics and stuff you know, especially games like Yu-Gi-Oh! and stuff have just had, like, very weird things with, like, tutoring cards where you don't have to show your opponent and stuff like that. Uh, Crazy. Yeah, so... <laughs> yeah. So, there's... Th- we just are a lot better off than a lot of other games, and, and we definitely do appreciate that, but there's always room for, you know, questioning and for trying to help improve. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
So as far as modern goes, you know, we had our deck choices from this past weekend. You know, Lee was on War and top aided. I was on Phoenix and six and threed. And honestly, two of my losses were matches that I did not give myself the best chance to win in. And yeah. if I had played tighter, I I don't know that I would have walked away from either of them with a win, but it certainly would have been closer. One really interesting match that I had was round one against fairies. Um, and I kind of just misevaluated my role in the middle of the game. Yeah. Um, got myself to a point where I finally managed to flip a thing in the ice, which is very difficult against that deck, the, the like Takahashi fairies deck. Yeah. Um, very difficult because they have access to a lot of fatal pushes and, uh, Snapcaster Mage for fatal push and, uh, you get Liliana a lot, uh, but I finally managed to flip a thing in the ice, bounced a bunch of fairy tokens to my opponent's hand, and I'm looking at a board with a Liliana on four counters, and I know he doesn't have removal for my thing in the ice. So if I attack the Liliana, then there's a, an okay chance that he doesn't get there on removal, and then I'm able to go from there with a thing that he didn't just get to kill for free. But my opponent was on 13, and the win condition of that deck is bitter blossom yeah and i just completely threw the game away by saying all right i'm going to take out your free removal spell when really the seven damage to the face like invalidated any number of removal spells my opponent could have drawn for the rest of the game yeah yeah um and i just didn't quite put those things together and so you know that's one of the things that like i'm happy to learn about right but right afterwards it was a little frustrated I, i was definitely a little frustrated with myself for not it just had been too long since I played against Bitter Blossom. Man. Yeah, I was gonna say because uh, you you had mentioned to me at the tournament that you made a mistake. Where... Oh, I screwed up the very basic Bitter Blossom interaction yeah, yeah. and killed it. I forgot that Bitter Blossom counted as a fairy, and I let myself get spellstutter sprited. Right. Um, yeah. Bad bad plays. Well, yeah, and you know, a card like Bitter Blossom uh, is definitely one of those cards where you know we used to have a lot of experience with it because right. it used to be more popular, but it's like died down, and we've forgotten all of those like you know really tricky like you know uh heuristics that we've learned about bitter blossom where like oh they have a bitter blossom that means that i need to win by putting some pressure on yeah and oh also it's a fairy on its own and it sucks (laughs) because this stuff feels like it should be stored deep down in my soul (laughs) yeah 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 but you know but uh, you lose it it you know that happens and that's okay It'll, I guarantee it'll happen next year with some other random card from oh, Modern. For sure. Modern is so it's big. so big. It happens to me at least like <laughs> once every other tournament. <laughs> I played with uh, Anafenza uh, in in my humans build. I have to reread Anafenza every time every she time. comes into play. Yeah, yeah. I think the first time I played Anafenza in humans, I just didn't realize that Anafenza gave plus one plus one counters to other creatures. <laughs> <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, that's a line of text on here. Whoops. It doesn't come up that much because mm-hmm. when you're attacking with it, when you've gotten to the point that you're attacking with your three mana four four, you're like probably just gonna win the game pretty soon. But, yeah, 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 for yeah. Sure. But yeah, uh, and I I never remember exactly how her exile clause works. It's creature cards from anywhere, yeah, from any zone. For, I had a, I had a game where I was playing Storm once, and I needed to give some given for like an auction survival and some bears to get a bear, and my opponent had Fenza, so I just shipped them straight to exile. <laughs> 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 wasn't paying enough attention yeah because yeah. kalidas doesn't work that way no. kalidas is only creatures from play right yeah so <laughs> this template too many, too many cards you. that you know do the same thing in quotes but are slightly work slightly differently. differently yeah it's crazy 
Um, Magic's complicated. <laughs> but I sidetracked myself. So I would choose Phoenix again. Okay. And if I were going to regionals, if I could back up, I would register. Uh, I would definitely register Phoenix again. I'd probably change my sideboard very slightly. Um, but I definitely think that the deck continues to be extremely well positioned and not only that but people are not adjusting to it in the proper ways yet and we may hit a point where people really learn how to play against it and how to sideboard against it but as far as things stand now i'm going to continue playing phoenix at every modern tournament unless until something drastically changes um yeah i'm i'm planning on playing phoenix in philly this weekend Mm -hmm. um i uh yeah, I just think it's pretty clearly the best deck right now, and I too frequently have a bias to play other stuff. <laughs> you know, I'm always trying to look for the new, fun, cool thing. Uh, but, you know, uh, I think it'll be good to have a tournament where I just, you know, give myself the best percentages chance to win for sure. my deck choice. And I think if you're trying to do the same this weekend, you should just play Phoenix. Yep. I think a lot of the percentages you get from playing the the new cool stuff mm-hmm. is that people don't have a lot of practice against it yeah or they don't play against it very well right which is what i think phoenix right now still people aren't yeah, very yeah, yeah. Good at playing against it right and i you know i played the, the prison deck and playing it for since kci got banned now <laughs> and uh people don't know how to play against that deck at all mm-hmm. like they're it, it locks you out so it's very difficult to play against at one game i had maybe 15 different permanents in play that were all doing different things. My opponent just was playing dredge and there was, I knew there was no way he could do anything. Right. But he had to draw his card and figure out how he could win. Like he wasn't allowed to just quit. Well, he could, but he didn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, it took, it takes my opponents a long time to take their turns because they're trying to figure out how to interact with all my different artifacts that are yeah. on the board, just right. face up on the board. Yeah. And I was guilty of that. You know, I, I definitely was in the tank quite a while when I was pretty much dead, you know, against yeah. you in our round one. Um, just because I, you know, I was in the headspace of like, all right, I need to really process my lines and outs to win this game. And, you know, it, it takes a minute to, to think through all those things. And it's pretty hard to come to the conclusion that the war player already knows, which is... You're done. You're, I've got all the pieces <laughs> yeah, you, that I needed. To yeah, get. yeah, yeah. You can't break out of this. Right. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. There's a Torbor Orb in play. Mm-hmm. You're dead. Yeah, for sure. Lee, would you just keep playing Prison from Abs- here on out? Absolutely. Yeah. I I even think the the blue black version I've been playing is a little better positioned right now than the other deck, mm-hmm. the the Chalice heavy Susurus version right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just because I think Admiral Diego is an excellent excellent card. And it's a very good anti-hate card, mm-hmm. which the other, the Chalice-heavy version deck relies yeah. very much on Chalice to be the anti-Shatterstorm, anti-Hercules recall card. It's really hard to be an anti-Shatterstorm card with it's, Chalice of the Void. It's very difficult. And I I even saw a list where Susurus, I think he he did very well in the challenge, and he had a Darksteel Forge in his deck. <laughs> which, if you aren't aware what Darksteel Forge does... I don't blame you because it's never been played. <laughs> it's a nine mana artifact. I was going to say, is it nine it's mana? It's a nine mana artifact. And what does it do exactly? It's indestructible. Yeah. And it gives every artifact you control indestructible. Oh. So it is the anti-Shatterstorm card. Yes. Clearly the only card that it is trying to beat is Shatterstorm. Yeah. But that's the only reason why you would put that card in your sideboard. Yeah. And if 
we're relying on nine mana war targets. That's that's a lot of artifacts you need in play before right. a Phoenix yeah. player can this find is, a Shatterstorm. This you is know? some super late game stuff that we're talking about. Yeah, uh, and that's why I. I, I like the Unward Egos a lot. I like the yeah. Demir version. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Unward Ego, every time I saw you cast it, um, it looked really strong. Uh, and, you know, you, I'm sure you were able to utilize its equity to its full potential because you know exactly what you're looking for. And if you need to name your opponents one of a Shatterstorm, that's what you got to do. Yeah, I, it's also very, very useful to have information uh, yeah. against... I played Michael Braverman in the top eight. Mm-hmm. Shoutouts to Mike. He's very great. Yes. Uh, he, Mike is great. He was playing Phoenix, and I didn't know he was playing Shatterstorm. I, I had told him the Thursday previous that he should just play Shatterstorm in his deck. Mm-hmm. But he wanted. He really wanted to play Shattering Spree. Mm. So I didn't know which he was playing. Okay, yeah. So I won game one, as you often do with the prison deck, and I just boarded in uh, an Unmoored Ego. To even if I lost, like Hedge, I get to see his deck, you know? Yeah. Get some information. Yeah, yeah. So I ended up casting the Unmoored Ego, and I named... Snapcaster, uh, Snapcaster Mage. Snapcaster Mage, yeah. I named Snapcaster Mage because it, it was the highest value target that I knew was in his deck. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I didn't know if he had Shatterstorm. So I got to Unmoored Ego him. He had Shatterstorm in his hand, so spoiler alert, <laughs> I lost that game. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I got to see all the answers in his deck that he boarded in. So I knew from that point in, he had exactly two abrades, two disdainful strokes, and a dispel. That's huge information. And th- those were the only cards I really needed to worry about. Right. Other than, you know, the general, yeah. please stop you gotta not die. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so I and I was able to look through his deck very quickly, because there's not very many deck cards. I, I don't take forever trying to memorize my opponent's deck. Yeah. Uh, so I just looked for those cards very quickly, put them back. And, and especially with Phoenix, you can right. sort of put the Faithless Lootings and the Ops and the Serum Visions out of your mind completely. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, just need to count the number of Surgicals and the number of Answer Cards to Permanence is the, the main thing. Yeah. Braverman's quote at the end of Game 2 is one of my favorite Magic quotes that I've heard recently. Uh, which was it? I don't think I played that one great, but I guess I played it good enough. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when he wins game two, yeah. it's a yeah. Shatterstorm. Yes, yeah. he, he, he sat a long time on the Shatterstorm, giving me a lot of respect that I would have a, multiple answers to it. Mm-hmm. And well, I, I was actually watching over his shoulder, and he, he waited to the point where he could... Um, Disdainful end. Shatterstorm with counterspell backup and flip all this thing in the ices for lethal on the same turn. Yeah. And that plan felt... You know, barring some sort of, uh, like, unward ego from your part, pretty much unbeatable, you know, looking at the normal uh, ways that your deck operates. It was extremely well executed. I believe even the turn before he went for it, uh, he surgicaled my unmoored egos to see how many I had in my deck. Right. And I just had the one. And I already cast it. Right. So he knew that, and he was was good to go for it. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, and that really says a lot about Mike. And, you know, Mike Mike is, he knows what's up when, when playing these long games that need to execute a plan, for sure. I was really happy watching you guys play that neither of you ever forgot there was a Damping Sphere in play. <laughs> yeah, but like both not not only like not casting a spell that you couldn't cast, but like both of you were like specifically spending your turns around like I'm going to cast this spell because I know exactly what's available to me then and what like I know that my opponent can't then cast a four mana spell with counterspell backup on their turn. Like like that that was very nice to see because I had multiple opponents in this tournament bring in Damping Sphere and then cast a spell after casting the Damping Sphere that they couldn't cast. So, um, which is like always great because you know that your opponent's turn just got screwed up because they were expecting these to go differently. But I, I like watching more cleanly played games of Magic than that. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean you know watching Lee's a pleasure as always. So. Good job. Yeah.
Thank you, Carl. <laughs> of course. Um, yeah, it was also nice watching my two Cincinnati teammates make yeah, that yeah. and play each other. Battle it out. Yeah, so, you know, I, I have some confidence going into this tournament in two weeks. If I can figure out a standard deck that I can sure. actually win with in right. this standard. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, I guess I really haven't gotten to a place where I'm prepared to talk about standard beyond, like, the decks are all the same decks that they used to be in, like... Since the Pro Tour. Yeah, yeah. I don't don't really have good standard stuff to talk about. Standard's in this weird spot where people just aren't putting a lot of energy into it right now. And Um, all the standard gameplay that you can see is all people practicing for the Mythic Invitational, <laughs> so they're all playing best of one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so frustrating. Right. Well, I honestly, I think that that's, you know, if we're talking about standard, that might just be what we need to talk about in the context of standard. Because, you know, traditional standard right now just isn't the format that people are focusing on. Yeah. There's, um, there's no tournaments for traditional yeah, standard exactly. right now. There's and no, there's no MCQs coming up. True. They haven't been announced yet. Or yeah. they haven't been scheduled yet. Right, right. Uh, there's no... Grand Prix that I know of mm-hmm. recently. The SCG is months away. It's really yeah. just this team tournament for best of three standard magic. Yeah. So I'm going to be thinking about standard and literally nobody else in the world <laughs> is going to be thinking about standard. So maybe we won't make it a, a big podcast topic for the next couple of weeks. For sure. Um, what we yeah. can talk about, though, is War of the Spark. Okay. So we knew that it was going to be a Planeswalker heavy set. Yeah. But we also have recently heard that there's apparently going to be a planeswalker in every pack met with a little bit of you know shocked gasps what will this do to limited yeah i I think a pretty clear conclusion we can draw is this is not going to be a bunch of obnixilises in every pack yeah when i when i heard the the, there's at least 36 planeswalkers in war of the spark and there's going to be at least one in every pack. It reminded me a lot of Dominaria, where mm-hmm. there's going to be a legend, a legend. in every pack. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm imagining a bunch of uncommon planeswalkers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Not exclusively uncommon planeswalkers, but, you know, we're not going to be having everyone opens their pack in their draft, they immediately take their three ability Obnixilis, and then they pass their pack to the rest. <laughs> and then you, and then you <laughs> yeah, draft from there. drafts with Obnixilis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it seems uh, like... Here's my kind of overall thoughts, my initial thoughts, I guess, um, where uh, they might be trying to replace rares in every pack with Planeswalkers in every pack. And kind of what I mean by that is, uh, especially in Limited and and, and that context where uh, everybody opens up like some number of like high-powered card and, you know, has access to a guaranteed amount of high-powered cards because you're seeing, you know, a, a rare or mythic in every pack that you open... Maybe they're trying to transition Magic over into a game that operates more around Planeswalkers, and they really want to make Planeswalkers just a bigger part of how the games play out, where uh, it already feels like, you know, especially in Standard, Standard can often come down to being all about Planeswalkers, where, uh, and I think that, you know, we've we've kind of dipped in and out of this setting in standard in recent standards where we're currently out of that yeah setting. and it does feel like we are out of that for the most part right now mm-hmm. um but there was a time period i think where standard was just about resolving and protecting planeswalkers yeah and uh you know and even recently like i think black green black green you know with all the explore creatures from last standard was essentially built around resolving a nissa and protecting it like that was the game right and 
like Viv- the, the last standard or the standard before that? Oh, did Vivian? I say Nissa? Yeah. I always call Vivian Everybody Reed calls Nissa. Vivian Reed Nissa. It's I'm, not I'm even probably... just a you thing. Like, yeah. I've heard this from multiple people I know and on multiple other podcasts. The, the next set That's is funny. going to be hell for Planeswalker names. Because <laughs> I, I call Tezzeret to Fairy and vice versa about half the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I am talking about Vivian Reed. Yes. Okay. The, the currently playable standard um, uh, five-mina green Planeswalker. Because mm-hmm. um, uh, there was a black-green deck. Oh, two yeah. years ago. With an even that, better five mana that, yeah. <laughs> uh, Planeswalker, for sure. Yeah. But so it might be true that they're going to be testing out this this Planeswalker in every pack to try to translate that Planeswalker element mm-hmm. of games are about resolving and protecting Planeswalkers. Maybe they're trying to translate that and see what it looks like in a limited context. Yeah. And I, I think that could be really interesting. And mm-hmm. I assume that they are going to be adjusting the power levels of these planeswalkers yep. accordingly. Right. And so what planeswalkers tend to do is make being on board pretty important. Mm-hmm. Just like the number of permanents you have in play becomes a good indicator of how the game is going. Right. I mean, not that that's not true in magic generally, but, uh, which but is why prison is so good. You can put so many yeah. permanents into play. <laughs> well, and I think that, that they do that on purpose. I think that's a very specific design philosophy that they want to stick to where mm-hmm. They don't like it when a bunch of spell-based combo decks are dominating magic, and they don't like it when it's all about counter spells and mm-hmm. a, a control deck is just easily your best option and you don't have any creatures to worry about. Yeah. Like I think that they want to push more the elements of permanence interacting with each other in magic in general, and this might be something that they're trying to do to push magic more in that direction of okay, you know, what can we do to make magic more about permanence interacting with each other? We want more creature combat. and Because creature combat, honestly, is, you know, one of the most skill-testing elements of magic that often gets overlooked by constructed-only players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... This is you, why I beat a lot of people with phoenixes on board yeah. when they just don't quite process what blocking right. with these phoenixes yeah. is going to do. Yeah. And I, I like that that element is so big in, you know, really highlighting difference in skill. And I think that it gives the higher skill players uh, just a an even bigger advantage. Um, and I think that that kind of thing is important in a game like Magic that does inherently come with a lot of variance, mm-hmm. you know. So, you know, it, I, it sounds to me like this might be a uh, area of design philosophy that they're trying to figure out a little bit in order to push magic more towards skill um, in that context. Could be. Do you know what my favorite thing about planeswalkers are as a card type? Tell me. You can attack them. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. for a long time, uh, I've wished planeswalkers had explored, planeswalkers as a card type, mm. had explored a little more uh, static abilities or triggered abilities or whatever, not just the the plus one, minus X, minus bigger X Okay, so model. What, what would that look like exactly? So imagine like an enchantment. Just okay. an enchantment. Just yeah. Stony Silence. Okay. My favorite enchantment. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just make like a Planeswalker that has Stony Silence as like its passive or whatever. Is its oh. static ability. Okay. And then it has a very minor plus to inch it up in loyalty so it gets harder over time to kill. Okay, interesting. Uh, and you can just attack it, and that just gets the Stony Silence off the board. Oh. That's kind of how I would picture uncommon Planeswalkers to work. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily them to be Stony Silences. Right, we're not okay. putting a bunch of Stony Silences <laughs> in yeah, yeah. Just, but, yeah. just these minor, these 
Like if there's like a Luma thread, like creatures you like, control get yeah. plus, o, like, plus one, and uh, it's a planeswalker or something. Planeswalker comes on the field, does a thing, mm-hmm. and then it might have some minor effect to help mm-hmm. it along. Yeah, I guess but Luma it's... thread field specifically is a terrible design for right. that sort of thing. But it's it's but... really just helping you out, and your opponent is encouraged to attack it to get it off the board yep. because it's giving you an advantage. But they're not pressured into because it's not going to build it up to where they eventually right. Lose the it's game. not a snowbally advantage. Yeah. It's just a permanent in play that is. Good. Right. right. If you don't attack Teferi for four turns, you lose the game. If you don't period. attack Teferi for two turns, you lose the game. <laughs> well, Omnixless, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Whatever your favorite. I'm going to win the game in X turns, Planeswalker. Yeah. Right. right. And I just wish more... Oh, you're talking about getting the... I'm just talking about being just <laughs> freaking buried under an avalanche yeah, of cards yeah. and extra I, mana. I'm, I'm talking specifically about how every Planeswalker right now in print builds mm-hmm. up towards a specific way that you just win the game after it's been in play for X turns. Yeah. And I there's a lot more to the Planeswalker oh. card type they can do with that. But Karn. No Oh yeah, restarts Karn. the game. Or <laughs> no no, mean? little Karn. <laughs> little Karn. He just like makes bigger and bigger constructs and doesn't beat like ensnaring bridge or whatever. <laughs> in standard, I guess if you just have a Karn out forever, he eventually has yeah. some like ten tens or whatever. Yeah, that that seems good enough. This seems know? fine. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I think that's good. Like, the card that I'm thinking of right now as an example is uh, Patient Rebuilding from M19. Yeah, sure. It's just an egregiously high power level enchantment, and a lot of times you would get cast, and your opponent would have no options except to deal 20 to you as fast as possible. And if they didn't do 20 to you within, like, two turns or something, they're just dead, and there's no way to interact with that enchantment because they don't have any disenchants in their main deck. If instead of dealing 20 to you, they could deal five or six to the patient rebuilding, that's a that's a, huge, a lot easier yeah, to work with. It's just a, a lot different option and gives a lot more paths to not dying to this card in the game, and that's very interesting. I remember in one of the great designer searches that they hosted, they asked a question in one of the essay portions that was, if you had to remove a card type from Magic, what would it be? And the joke was that if you said creature, you were just disqualified. (laughs) (laughs) But the, the answers that they were looking, that kind of the consensus, what a lot of people said, was either artifact or enchantment. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot, I remember Morrow's take on this was, Rosewater's take on this was that artifacts were a lot more flavorful than enchantments. Mm-hmm. They could be worked in a lot of different ways, especially since equipment had been printed. Those are a lot more popular than auras. As well as colored artifacts. Right. And enchantments are just so hard to deal with. And they've been locked into this place of they always set rules that make the game kind of warped around them without... They're either extremely major effects like patient rebuilding, or they do very little like Luma Threat Fields. <laughs> and I I can imagine a, like this set being more about having these kind of enchantment effects on Planeswalker types where they're more interactive. You can attack and play with your Planeswalkers and have these effects without them being overbearing. Yep. It's just going to be a very different limited gameplay than we're used to, but Planeswalkers, as a card type, have been incredibly underutilized for limited play. Yes. Uh, There's very few Planeswalkers that fill a design space in limited other than, oh, jeez, my opponent has this freaking Planeswalker. Yeah. Like, that's the only response to the vast majority of Planeswalkers ever printed is, like, I I was planning for them to play off, like, a 5-5 this turn, but instead they just played a Teferi and I'm gonna die. And so there's a lot of space there to explore that is not that. Um, and I think that 
that is a good recognition of the value of this card type and and that hopefully there's interesting things we can do with it. Yeah, I, I'm I'm looking forward to the set. I think there's a lot of cool stuff they can do with it, and Rosewater's excited about it. I, I always like seeing that. Yeah, oh yeah. I'm excited because uh, I think both of the sets that are kind of spoiled right now, I feel really excited about. Um, and that just gives me a good feeling about Magic in yeah. general, I think. You know, it, it feels good when the sets are coming out and we're like, oh yeah, this is going to be sweet. You yeah. know, that yeah, <laughs> that's, that's just what keeps us here. Especially you know? when we know almost nothing about this set but the name and a couple like 30 pieces of art that's right it. right that's right. all we know yeah yeah those, those don't even go on the cards though it's so sad no they do but they're not in stained glass style that's the uh, art on the cards but they're not in so what they did is they have oh, those art and then and they, they like stained glassified them interesting okay but card everything better in stained glass. <laughs> That's why History of Benelli is the best art in Dominaria. Oh, yeah. History. Whew. Well, we can't Love have an entire card. set of stained glass until we go to the stained glass plane. What if all of the pre-release promos are planeswalkers and they get the stained glass art? You know, there's a, a planeswalker in every pre-release kit now. There's a there's a foil stamped rare and there's and a, a planeswalker. Foil planeswalker. That would be real cool. It if, would be real. But it would sweet. also make the good planeswalker anybody who manages to open a good planeswalker in there. That's just like two hundred dollars or something. Yeah. Versus the people who get like a two dollar card. So maybe not the greatest, but I, I'd still be for it. Those those stained glass cards look really nice. They're sweet. Agreed. All right. So for our Patreon question of the week, our newest patron Ellen asks. How do you deal with fatigue over the course of a long tournament? And this is actually kind of an interesting question because Alan did really well mm -hmm. in a long tournament. He just top eighted regionals. He made the finals of it. Yeah. But I know he was pretty beat at the end of the tournament right. um, and ended up uh, splitting with Dylan at the end because, I mean, it's a bad matchup for him. Dylan was on Phoenix. He's on Spirits. But I, I know that he wasn't he didn't want to play out that match because right. he was beat at the end yeah. of the tournament and he even he even came up to me and mentioned that um he felt bad because he felt like he made some mistakes in his match against lee you know and he it, it contributed that to the tournament being you know going for a long time yeah, you know he's, he'd pl that was his 10th 11th round of magic i, I think we finished our match at like 10 o'clock at night <laughs> yeah. 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 That's, oh, yeah. a that's a very long tournament yeah and this is <laughs> Kind of, I think, an underrated question. I think this is, you know, if... And so for all the people who plan on playing in uh, long tournaments, especially like this, um, planning on going to Grand Prix, planning on going to Opens, you know, the day ones of those are very intense. Mm -hmm. um, and fatigue is a very real element that, honestly, I think gives tournament grinders... It's just another edge that tournament grinders get over the rest of the field. Because they have experience with this kind of thing and they know what works for them in terms of handling that fatigue. And I think some of it comes from just endurance built up over playing a lot of tournaments like this. You just kind of get to the point where you're used to it and you can handle it and you've kind of developed your, um, you know, your mental fortitude, I guess. But there are a lot of other things that uh, you can and should do throughout the day to really help with tournament fatigue. And I think the most important one for me, at least, is, uh, and I've fluctuated back and forth on my ability to do this well, <laughs> you know, uh, but you got to take care of your body. And I've heard a lot of strategies that people have talked to me about. And, and honestly, I don't think there's one correct solution for this. 
Um, I think it's important for you to understand your own body, how it reacts to certain things, and um, act accordingly, right? Because I, you know, I so I know a lot of people who just aren't phased by that um, at all. Uh, but um, you know, but some people, uh, you know, really do get pretty severely affected by it. So just understanding if you like need to make sure that you eat during the tournament, you're drinking a lot of water. Um, but you know, other strategies that I've heard are some people do intermittent fasting and that works for them on tournaments where you just don't eat, uh, at all during out the, throughout the tournament. But in order to be successful in that, you need to make sure that your body's equipped for that. So if you do intermittent fasting, just if that's like a regular practice that you do, it can be effective during tournaments as well. Um, but you need to make sure that you're body is equipped for that don't just like try intermittent fasting because yeah. i think a lot of people do intermittent fasting on accident um and you know for for those who don't know intermittent fasting is just you don't eat early in the morning or during the day you just have one big meal at the end of the day you, you have like a um a, a, a couple hours where you or you get all a, of your calories a, yeah, a stretch of hours where you're you're eating your meals right or right for food sure. and you know and it's like so stuff like that can work for certain people um but you know you you know you can't just jump into it cold turkey. You need it's a, to make sure it's that a you're... system and it's a it's something you have to pursue. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and it is hard when you start it. I've done it before. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really work for me. Yeah, um, and and I I like what you said. And what's really key is yeah, figuring out what works for you mm-hmm. both physically and mentally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm I'm sure IF works for. So I know it works for people for like as a diet plan and stuff. Mm-hmm. I am not confident that it's the best strategy for most people to pursue for a magic tournament because even if you're feeling okay, I think you are costing yourself mm-hmm. brain ability at some point of not eating That's fair. during the day. Yeah. Um especially with this tournament with, you know, it, when the Swiss rounds are going to like 8 p.m., like mm-hmm. your your regular IF schedule isn't going to be eat dinner at 8:30 p.m. or no. whatever. Right. Um and so you you need to be prepared for that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I, I I like to split it up into you got to take care of your body and you have to take care of yourself mentally as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to take care of myself physically, I really try to I don't always eat the healthiest lunch because you eat what is around. You just don't have time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And but I do try to make sure to bring some fruit and some nuts with me to yeah. every tournament. Mm-hmm. And by fruit, I don't mean dried fruit. Like, I mean, actual fruit, apple, yeah. oranges, some blueberries. Like yeah. I brought blueberries and they were yeah. awesome. It was, I was kind of jealous because I had forgotten to pack any fruit or anything. Cause I <laughs> yeah. got, I got an urgent <laughs> message from Dylan as mm. I was heading out. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah. Hey, come get me. <laughs> 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 oh, okay. Right. Um, yeah, so I'm sorry I didn't offer you any blueberries, but I was, like, very hungry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I think at that point I was eating because I had just gotten food with Collins. Oh, okay. Okay, that's right. That's right. Then then, then I feel we, less We guilty. finished our match in a, like, swift 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's good for eating, for sure. Yeah. Which is pretty good for prison, having an opponent who knows <laughs> when yeah. they are dead and yeah. can just go get lunch. <laughs> the weirdest parts about prison, and if you ever, you know, Luke to fatigue, because mm-hmm. I play a lot of decks that can win very quickly but isn't necessarily obvious. Yeah. Uh, a, lo- a lot of the times you either end your matches at 25 minutes on the clock or negative two minutes. On the clock. <laughs> right. Yeah. And there's not a lot of in between. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's very opponent dependent sometimes. Yeah. Right. It, absolutely. And it's, it can be challenging to get ready after one of those matches that goes to time. You're the last round to finish. You turn your slip and the next round's call and you've got it like, 
reset yep. and go straight back into another game. That could, right. be, that could be difficult. That is mentally taxing. And honestly, one of my forms of tournament care is I factor that into my deck selection, whether or not it's going to take me to time a lot. Um, in standard, like I, I, I'm not going to take pick the aggro deck every time. If I have an aggro deck and I have a control deck and I think I can pilot each one to a very similar win percentage... Like, I'm going to lean towards the aggressive deck that ends games more quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, in in Modern, I'm really happy to play Phoenix because one way or another, like, like these games can go on for a while, but my matches tend to be over in half an hour or less. And I really think part of my caring for myself mentally during a tournament is doing what I need to do to reset after matches, especially matches where... I am not happy with my play or something like that, and I need to push that out of my head. Um, so I need to take time to sit down with my friends and talk, uh, especially not about magic sometimes, yeah. um, or go outside and take a walk or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, and absolutely, yeah. I, I I find like one of the best things to do when I have those back to back matches mm-hmm. is I'll call the judge and ask to go to the bathroom, just like wash my face, cool down a little bit before I yeah, sit yeah, down yeah. and just mm-hmm. play more magic, mm-hmm. right. Just a little period of where you're not stressed about having just gone to time, don't mm-hmm. know if you're winning or right. what, whatever. Yeah, and just, then you're back immediately yeah, into a match. The round starting, you're nervous about getting your round on time. Yeah, yeah it can be a lot of stress. Just, yeah. just try to minimize stress, and I, I, I take that to a little further degree. I don't worry too much about records or standing or worrying about drawing into top eight until we're way past that line i don't i don't think about that at all yeah yeah. i most of the time in the tournament i don't even know what round it is <laughs> yeah and i love that strat you know I, I i do that a lot too and uh you know and that's one of the downsides of people asking everybody's records all the time is like i just don't want to know what round we're in even you know in the <laughs> right. middle of a tournament <laughs> so um yeah for sure yeah well cool cool then yeah i think that's pretty much it for us, yeah, we covered for a lot. today, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah but this is a huge one, right? <laughs> I mean, like we've been talking it'll, forever. It'll get edited down a little bit. We, yeah. We'll cut some stuff out. It'll probably be about an average length episode, oh, honestly. Typically, the number that I see is about yeah an hour and twenty minutes, and then it gets cut down like ten to fifteen minutes in editing, just taking out oh, spaces cool. and this stuff right now. <laughs> no, we're keeping all this in. <laughs> We'll see. A little the unveiling extra, of the curtain. The extra patron reward. <laughs> uh, yeah. The new tier. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, and, and speaking of that, I think we are going to try to revamp some of these Patreon rewards pretty soon. Yeah. Try to um, get them a little more solid and also try to get some physical merch to each tier of, of Patreon subscribers to really, you know, give you guys a reason if... If you want to go up a tier or something, give you like a, a specific reward for that because we really do appreciate the support yeah. and it is really cool that so many people have wanted to come just to hang out in the Discord and stuff and definitely want to make it a, a you know, give you a reason and, and, yeah. and hopefully, hopefully these are nice things that people want to get and yeah, kind of excited about it. All right, let's do it. Yeah. So thanks to everybody so much for listening. Thanks for your support. Really, really appreciate it. If you'd like to find us online, you can head up our website, mtggrindcast.com, where we have links to our Patreon and stuff there, or patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. You can find us on Twitter. I am tweeting from at ccr underscore grindcast. Collins is also on Twitter. At Collins Mullen. And Lee is also on Twitter. At Lee McLeo. Um, And so, you know, unfortunately, that 
KCI Bible no longer your pinned tweet. Yeah, that's that hasn't been the pinned tweet for a while. Yeah. I just don't have a pinned tweet now. No, <laughs> I mean, probably going to have to write some sort of prison Bible or something like that. We'll, we'll see. It's only been seven weeks. we got to wait until the deck is, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. really strong. Because that, that right. deck is kind of a house of cards. If you want to beat it, you can beat it. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. But not a lot of people putting the effort, which is why I get a lot of results yep. right now. Yep. Very nice. Yep, yep. sure. Crap, and now I want to talk about how to beat it. It's a really fun <laughs> conversation, actually. Next Chris. time on <laughs> MCG Grindcast. One of the keys is play blue-white control with four negates in the 75, as we found during yeah. an adventuresome testing session. <laughs> I, I still have scars. Yeah, was, I didn't enjoy playing blue-white for that. Um, yeah, anyways, thanks everybody so much for listening. We'll teach you how to beat prison next week. Um, <laughs> until then, have a great week. Peace. Bye, y'all.